Welcome to Grace Church Resources. This is the home of the teaching ministry of Grace Community Evangelical Free Church in Spofford, New Hampshire. Here you will find weekly sermons, special teaching series, testimonies, and much more. If you haven't already subscribed, we encourage you to do so so you will be notified when we post new material. We trust these resources will be a supplement to your regular involvement in a local church wherever you may be, and that by His grace and for His glory, you are looking more like Jesus every day. Okay. Good morning. I, I think it's very uh, apropos that you know we heard from Libby this morning in her testimony because it does bring us encouragement that God is still working in each and every one of us. Because this morning's message is partly about encouragement, but also taking inventory about where we are spiritually. You know, the whole point of of our walk and our faith is that we continue to move forward. And to, and to grow more Christ-like. Uh, one thing I want to just encourage you that I had a couple, uh, couple of members come up and encourage me this morning. Um, I said, keep your expectations low, then we can all walk away happy this morning. <laughs> so there was a... Uh, years ago, there was a Dear Abby column and it was, uh, it was a story by a retired school teacher. One day she had her students take out two sheets of paper and list the names of the other students in the room. Then she told them to think of the nicest thing they could say about each of their classmates and write it down by their names. She took the papers home that weekend and compiled the list for each student and what the others had said about him or her. On Monday, she gave each student his or her list Before long, everyone was smiling. Really, one whispered? I never knew that meant anything to anyone. I didn't know anyone liked me that much. Years later, the teacher went to a funeral of one of her former students who had been killed in Vietnam. Many many who had been in that class years before were there. After the service, the young man's parents approached the teacher and said, we want to show you something. Mark was carrying this when he was killed. The father pulled out of a wallet the list of all the good things Mark's classmates had said about him. Thank you so much for doing that, Mark's mother said. As you can see, Mark treasured it. A group of Mark's classmates overheard the exchange. One smiled sheepishly and said, I still have my list. It's in the top desk of my drawer at home. Another said, I have mine too. It's in my diary. I put mine in my wedding album, said a third. I bet we all save them, said a fourth. I carry carry mine with me all times. At that point, the teacher sat down and cried, and she used that assignment in every class for the rest of her teaching career. The story, I, I, I give you the story this morning because we all need encouragement at times. And so the Apostle John here had been dishing out some strong words leading up to this section of of Scripture. Um, And and he was doing so because he was warning who he was writing to about the false teachers that he was combating at the time. Because he had just said in verse 11, essentially that if you don't love your brother, you're in the darkness and not saved. And he's about to say in verse 15, if you love the world, 
you don't have, have the Father's love in you. But before he says that, he inserts this sort short section, I believe, to encourage us as believers and as readers back then, that no matter how young or mature you are in your faith, that he didn't want them, or, or that who may have been troubled by what he had written, he wanted to encourage them before moving on. Think about it in your own lives. Think about it when your child's struggling and they've done something wrong. You have to deal with the sin, but you also want to give them some encouragement to know that in reality it's going to be okay. And again, there's more going on in this text for us. I believe it not only provides encouragement, but it also gives us a chance as believers to measure our spiritual growth. Where are we on the growth table spiritually? But why is it important to know that we are still growing spiritually? So growth is an inherent part of life for all of us. This is a true statement both in the physical sense and the spiritual sense. Just as seeds grow into mature plants and babies grow into mature adults, likewise, Christians grow to look more like Christ each and every day. That's our goal, to look more and more like Christ. When growth is hindered in the physical realm either by malnutrition, disease, or birth defects, the results are often tragic. But when your spiritual growth is hindered, when we as believers fail to grow in faith, it is a far worse tragedy. Immature Christians cannot fully appreciate all the blessings and privileges that God has reserved for them. And there's a, there is unlimited blessing reserved for all believers. But we also can't serve him with the usefulness he desires. Like our physical growth, our spiritual growth ultimately depends on God's power, but it also requires the element of human responsibility. We have to take responsibility for our own faith. Nowhere in Scripture do you find any teaching to the contrary. In fact, the New Testament repeatedly calls for believers to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. And I take that from Philippians 2:12. In 2 Peter verse 3, I'm sorry, in 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 18, we see the apostle command that believers grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but we can't do that if we're not growing spiritually. And then again in Ephesians 5:1, Paul exhorts us to be imitators of God as beloved children. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, Paul gives us what spiritual growth is all about. Brothers and sisters, I do not regard myself as having taken hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of, of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We should be looking ahead in our walk of faith. That's how we grow. You see, Paul understood, and we need to as well, that the goal for the prize of the upward call of God is to become Christ-like. And every command we find in the Bible about sanctification assumes the necessary obedience of the ones commanded. We're commanded to be obedient to Christ. We're commanded to live like Him, to reflect Him. 
that makes it clear that we, if we, press, if we profess to be a believer, have a duty to faithfully and obediently use the means of grace to grow to spiritual maturity. But I, I want to clear up some misconceptions about spiritual growth before we get into the main point of the, this message this morning. First, spiritual growth does not determine the believer's standing, standing in grace before God. That issue is finally and completely settled when someone trusts in Jesus' work on the cross. The moment we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior is the moment when your destiny is settled, you are heaven-bound. Second, spiritual growth does not affect God's love for believers. He doesn't love a more mature believer any more than he does a less mature one. The reason for this is that his love is not based on our work or, or merit, it's based on his love for us. I mean, look at the disciples' actions the day Jesus was crucified. Where did they go? But yet he used them to start his church. Third, spiritual growth is unrelated to the amount of theological information believers know. Just because I've gone to seminary doesn't mean that someone who hasn't is less mature spiritually than I am. This is, this is a dangerous position to be in, too, because the more biblical information one receives but does not apply, the more deceived he or she becomes about their own spiritual condition. And it's not hard to see that in somebody. It's really not. Fourth, spiritual growth is not measured by the calendar. People who have been believers for many years can be less spiritually mature than those believers who are younger in the faith. This could be a result of inadequate study of Scripture, or the application of it, or just plain sinful living. Fifth, spiritual growth has nothing to do with outwardly successful ministry activity. Some of the busiest people in church are unskilled in the truth and immature in the wisdom that comes from above because they're more concerned about the ministry than they are about their relationship with Jesus. They have to stay busy. Even prominent spiritual leaders can display an appalling lack of biblical wisdom at times. Finally, spiritual growth is not mystical, sentimental, or psychological. It does not stem from a once-for-all act of spiritual rededication, uh, or, I'm sorry, a, a spiritual rededication, a religious decision, or an emotional experience that produces good feelings. Rather, as physical growth results from the process of taking in food, so also spiritual growth results from the process of taking in God's truth, believing it, and applying it, which we should be doing on a daily basis. Putting on Christ is a daily thing. It's not just on Sunday. It's every single day. So as we approach this passage this morning, I want you all to keep in mind that John placed this paragraph here to give his readers and us assurance and comfort that God is still working in our life no matter where we are in our spiritual maturity. That we are true children of God. Not like the unbelievers that surround us. And that not all believers are on the same level of spiritual maturity and that's really okay. That no matter where we fall in the spiritual growth chart, all believers are irreplaceable 
and special to God. You have a purpose in God's kingdom. You are irreplaceable and you're special to him, no matter where you are in your spiritual maturity. And again, I also want to, to us to take a look at who John's writing to and how he frames it to gauge where each one of us is spiritually, right? Because we're, we're not all together on that. So let's, let's dive into the text. So verse 12, John writes, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven, forgiven you for his name's sake. So John here is writing to all believers, because of that, he is quick to remind them that his sins are forgiven. And I'm, I, I'm, I'm reading this and I'm going over this because I want you to remember that your sins are forgiven. The word translated little children, technia, means born ones. Speaking of offspring in a general sense, and it doesn't have anything to do with age or maturity. John uses this term to address all of us as true children of God regardless, again, of their level of spiritual maturity. His focus was on all who took their sinful condition seriously. If you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you accepted that you were a sinner in need of a Savior. You had your lives transformed by the Holy Spirit. You now live in obedience of God's Word, and you show sincere love for one another. And of the two spiritual families that exist from God's perspective, children of God and children of Satan, God's children do not love Satan's family or give their allegiance to the world he controls. Instead, they grow, they mature, and not at all at the same rate or with equal consistency in their love for the Lord. Love that will show itself in genuine obedience and service. Please be assured that the New Testament plainly states that all believers, no matter where they are in their walk or spiritual growth, have been forgiven of all their sins. That's the point to make the last few minutes. We have all been forgiven our sins. No matter what sin you've committed, you have been forgiven. And so this is, wasn't originally part of my message this morning, but for those of you who, who, who don't know, my dad died about a month ago. And I, I know that um, coming here, uh, the few times he did, you know, we had a conversation. I believe that he accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. But I will tell you the reason that he struggled with it prior to that is because he thought that he had committed sins that could not be forgiven. He had to be reminded or shown that no matter what sin you have committed, Christ died for it. He took it upon the cross. And isn't that the foundation to the mission of the church, which is to make disciples? I mean, look at Luke 24, verse 47. Jesus told his disciples that repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. How do you approach non-believers? How about Peter in Acts 10.43 when he declared to Cornelius and his companions of him Christ all the prophets bear witness that through his name every, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness. And the great reality of the forgiveness of sins was something that wasn't new to John's first readers. 
of this letter because it was firmly rooted in the Old Testament. And hopefully it's not new for us. Hopefully none of this is new. It's just a reminder. It's just an encouragement. John provides the... John John reminds us that God grants forgiveness to us as believers. Again, not because of our own worthiness or merit, but for his name's sake. This expression refers to God's glory, which is the main reason he does everything he does. God forgives us by and through his grace and mercy because it pleases him to do so and it brings him glory. Let that sink in just for a minute. We have a God who does it simply because he can. And he chooses us to do it through. So, let's talk about where are we on the spiritual growth chart. So, in verse 13, John writes, I have written to you children because you know the Father. So, John's use of the word children here refers to young children. Those still under parental instruction because these children are immature and in need of care and guidance. Now, there are some of us in our walk that we're here has nothing to do with your age. It's just that you're new to the faith. The immature believers that John is referring to here are those who know the Father, know God, but no more than a real infant has little, has little more than a basic knowledge of his or her parents. One distinguishing characteristic of these babes in Christ is that they are consumed by their newfound relationship with Christ. Think about when you first accepted Christ. How excited were you at that moment? And what did you act like? You were excited, I hope. Because at that moment, you found true joy and peace because of that new knowledge of their God and Savior. But they're still infants in the faith who have yet to experience the nourishment of spiritual meat of sound doctrine. Right? As with babies, spiritual children are not aware of the spiritual warfare that is going on around them. And so they are prone to weakness. Those of us who are mature believers, first, we need to celebrate a young believer's acceptance of Jesus. And I'm telling you, throw a party. If you want to, we throw parties for birthdays and other things. You want to throw a party, throw it for somebody who's accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. It's the most important decision they could make in their entire life. And we sometimes dismiss it as, oh, okay, yeah, great, congratulations. Throw a party. But we also must be willing to come alongside them as mature believers and in love warn them of the dangers of those things that can set them off on the wrong path and the consequences that accompany those decisions. Lou's talked about that before, about those who are spiritually mature taking on a Timothy, right? Taking on a younger, a young, immature believer to help them. It's important stuff. So, the spiritually young, are you there? And if you're there, that's okay. You got your whole spiritual life ahead of you, and guess what? It will be exciting and difficult. Because the closer you get to be Christ-like, the more Satan's coming after you. But that's a good thing. So, 
Let's talk about those that are sort of the teenagers in our faith, uh, of the faith. So in, uh, again, verse 13 and then 14, I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. So now we're looking at this sort of teenager of, of spiritual maturity, and it takes believers from an emphasis on the basic relationship to the emphasis on biblical revelation, right? Think about that time in your life as a, as a believer. You know, you're not new anymore, and now you're really starting to dig into God's word, and, and he's just revealing things to you, and it's like, wow, I didn't know that. Just to make a comparison between the spiritually young and now these older believers, when we, are spiritually, when we are spiritually young, our focus is usually on a devotion to God, which is a necessary starting point for all believers. But, when John, but what John is talking about here is that as we mature in our faith and reach the next stage of spiritual growth, we should desire a clearer understanding of biblical doctrine. Right? We want to know what God's word is saying to us. Spiritually young believers are marked by an understanding of scriptural truth. They have outgrown the childlike self-absorption with feelings and moved beyond those struggles often associated with a new believer. At this point on the spiritual growth chart, we should have a biblical worldview, not a secular one. Our theology should largely be in place and the love for the truth and a desire to proclaim it and defend it. Because the word of God abides in us, at this stage, we should be strong in our doctrinal truth. And the only way you get to that stage is by spending time in God's Word. This stage of spiritual growth results in the fact that we have already come, overcome the evil one. After all, Satan's primary emphasis is not on tempting individuals to sin, but working on through many false religious systems to deceive the world and lead most to damnation. I'm not saying you're not being attacked spiritually as an individual, but Satan wants to bring down groups, right? He wants to bring down groups. The spiritually young at this stage of maturity, however, are equipped through their understanding of Scripture to stand firm against Satan's deceptions. Armed with the sound teachings they have been taught, they are able to refute error and guard the truth. I have said, and I don't know if I've said it here, but I've said it in other places, as believers, we should not struggle with right and wrong. We know what is right, we know what it's wrong. We might struggle with between, well, what's, a, what's the best decision? This is a bit good decision, is this best? But as far as right and wrong, if we're in God's word on a daily basis, we know the difference between right and wrong. So, moving on to the next stage, now we're looking, at to the, now we're looking into the been there, done that crowd. Again, verses 13 and 14. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know, who, know him who has been from the beginning. I have written to you, fathers, because you know him and how he has been from the beginning. So this third stage of spiritual growth, John mentions here, is when believers do not merely understand Scripture intellectually, but have come to know him, God, the source of the truth and the object of worship and praise it produces. 
John asserts that reality in both, in both verses 13 and 14, and Paul, Paul echoes that in Philippians 3.10. Those who are mature spiritually have meditated truly on the depth of God's character to such an extent that they gain a deep knowledge of him and worship him intimately. You know who those people are in your church, or you should, because they should stand out. In a sense, the most mature believers have come full circle. With the emphasis on their Christian lives again, on their relationship with the eternal God who has been from the beginning, only now the relationship is markedly fuller and richer because it is, is completely informed and anchored to the fullness of biblical truth. And let me give you an example from Scripture of what that looks like. Job through his experience of severe trials, came to a deep knowledge of God. He affirmed in Job 42.6, Therefore I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. What Job is saying is that he is very sorry for his incomplete, immature view of God that he had held to earlier in life. That is how you distinguish that, that group from the rest of the groups. And the only way we can get there as true believers is through the life-transforming application of the Word of God in our lives. If you're not going to God on a regular basis with the decisions that you're making in your life, you need to start doing that, no matter what it is. And how do we do this? We do this by reading, studying, memorizing, meditating on, and applying the Bible's truth in every situation. How often do we pray before we make a business decision? How often do we pray before we make a life-changing decision such as marriage, having a child, moving? How often do we pray before we even go to work? If we can apply the Bible's truth in every situation, the result should be that we will be transformed into the image of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. As we all continue to grow in our faith, our, grow, our grow, goal sorry, should be to become spiritually mature fathers, which is characterized by an intimate communion with God. In John, in John 17, the Gospel of John, in Jesus' high priestly prayer, Jesus prayed for the apostles and all believers, and he said this, And for their sakes I sanctify myself, so that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I am not asking on behalf of these alone, but also for those, believe, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may be all, so that they may all be one, just as you Father, are in me, I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me, which you have given me, I also have given to them, so that they may be one, just as we are one, I in them, you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me, and you love them just as you love me. Father, I desire 
that they also, whom you have given me, will be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. Righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have made your name known to them, and will make it known, so that the love with which you loved me will be in them, and I in them. Jesus desired that, desired that all believers would know God, not just in a superficial way, nor in an academic sense only, but with a supernatural intimacy made possible, possible only by a lifetime of obedience to him in his word. Think of how, how your lives would change if you were in full obedience to God. So what does this all boil down to? What does this mean? First, new believers must move beyond their initial delight in the Father's love to a sound knowledge of biblical truth. Second, those who have grown in faith and are beyond the infant stage can rest in their knowledge of biblical truth, but need to press on to, deeply, to know deeply the God from, all who, from whom all truth comes and to whom all truth points. And even mature Christians must continue to expand and deepen their knowledge of the eternal God and care for younger believers. Again, 2 Peter 3, verse 18. Grow in the grace of knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I want to leave you with this thought as a thought of encouragement, as a, as a child of God. When Thomas Jefferson arrived in France as U.S. ambassador in 1785, he called on the French minister for foreign affairs. You replace Monsieur Franklin, asked the minister. I succeed him, was the reply. No one can replace him. We would consider it a compliment if someone called us irreplaceable. In the spiritual sense, we are. No one else can step in and fulfill God's plan for us the way that he can. And that should be an encouragement to us in each of, our, of the seasons of faith. The value and importance of each person in God's family is obvious from today's passage. We are irreplaceable. We are special to God. We are growing in our faith, but we're not all on the same level, and that's okay. God has forgiven you of your sins. Lord, we just thank you for your work in our lives. We thank you for uh, making us special Lord, we thank you for the word of encouragement that our sins are forgiven, that all we need is in you. And if we had nothing else, if we had nothing else in our lives but only you, that would be enough. Lord, I pray for opportunities for each one here today to share the gospel with at least one person. I pray that we would set aside a time to pray about that, and, and to stand for our faith, Lord. Lord God, we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. We trust this resource was a blessing to you. You might also be interested in our other podcast, Grounding Our Faith, which is an interview-style conversation with staff, church leaders, and members about issues of theology and everyday faith. 
Grace Church Resources and Grounding Our Faith are both ministries of Grace Community Evangelical Free Church in Spofford, New Hampshire.